Hello, this is Nilla Varman and you're listening to The Nilla Extract, the official show where I talk about pressing issues such as body acceptance, mental health, climate change, race and so much more, with some pretty cool music and some pretty cool guests too. Hello everyone, my name is Nilla Varman and welcome back to The Nilla Extract. Thank you so much for being here. How has everyone's week been? For me, it's been interesting. It's coursework season, and so I feel like I'm constantly glued to my laptop, which in some ways is a good thing, and in some ways is a really bad thing, because I'm really, really good at procrastinating. I don't know about you, but if you relate to this, let me know. The weather has also got extremely Christmassy, and when I say that, I mean it has in the rest of the United Kingdom, except in London, where there is not a drop of snow at the moment, though being predicted that it would snow a couple times last week, I feel like every um, everyone else, all of my other friends were building snowmen and making like snow angels. And here I was just standing face first to the wind, which felt like its own version of snow, but just the wind. I didn't even care if there was snow in my face. I just wanted some snow. But um yeah, I'm hoping for some snow. And do you know what? I don't want to jinx it, but maybe we're looking at a very rare, potentially, white Christmas. Now, speaking of white Christmas, it is December and I am so, so happy because today I can start playing Christmas songs. I don't know why I took such a big gap there before I said that, but yes, it is true. I can start playing Christmas music today and I'm really, really excited because I'm going to pop lots in in the next month or so before we break for a couple weeks. Um, and yeah, <laughs> now today's episode is all about the climate crisis and climate change. Much like last week's episode, I thought I would focus a couple weeks on reviewing the current climate situation because a common myth that a lot of people think about climate change is that it's a future problem. And, you know, it's no longer an excuse to not act on climate change and push the burden onto like future generations. Obviously, last year, the world's climate leading scientists people warned us that we don't have very much time left to limit the global warming um at its maximum temperature and uh, we're already seeing such devastating effects because of climate change on like global food supplies and migration increases and like i don't know global instability and conflict and disease and a whole ass pandemic and i mean i don't know if that's really but man-made climate change is the biggest environmental crisis of our time, in my opinion. And it threatens the future of the planet that we depend on for survival. And we're the last generation that can really, really do something about it. So yeah, this episode is also a climatey episode, shall we say. But uh, lots of Christmas stuff and a new segment too. And I'm really, really excited to get into that. Now... I've met quite a few climate sceptics, I don't know, deniers in my time of being alive for the past years, that didn't make sense, but I thought it'd be interesting to have a look at a couple more myths, um, because I did my reading and I found so many of them which I couldn't believe that people actually think is a myth, so yeah, (laughs) I think the first myth is that, you know, as I said, climate change is very much so a man-made problem. Um, But a lot of people just think that, okay, so get rid of all the humans then and we'll be fixed. 
I mean, uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe our planet won't be able to support the world's growing population. But, you know, I think what we need now is for political leaders and people in power to make sure that they're creating important legislative measures and important, um, you know, bold actions towards using these various solutions to address the climate crisis and restore our nature. Another myth uh, is that a lot of people think, okay, so the world's getting warmer, you know, animals have adapted and evolved over time. What's to say that they won't adapt to climate change right now? I mean, I know this one doesn't sound like a myth because Darwin got the adaptation part right. But to be clear, some plants and animals, sure, they'll adapt. And some already have. I think there's a couple of animals... Oh my gosh, so I just remembered in that very, very heartbreaking episode of, I think it was Our Planet or Dynasties uh, with David Attenborough and there was an episode with walruses that usually they reside on ice, but because ice had melted, they'd have to like lug themselves up these huge mountains. Uh, I guess they weren't really mountains, but you know, cliff top kind of things. And they're pretty blind, so you know, they'll try to move and try and get in the ocean and they can hear the ocean, but they can't actually see it. So unfortunately, a lot of them fall to their deaths and we lose so many of them. And, you know, this is because they've been forced to live in these clustered environments on these cliffs. Um, so for sure, some plants and animals will adapt, but not all. And to survive, plants and animals and birds are confronted with you know, either move or adapt, and it's hard. <laughs> and it's weird to hear because you don't expect this problem to, I don't know, have such a big impact. But for example, you know, I read about a fish called a lungfish, and, you know, when there are water shortages, which it faces at an alarming rate, it somehow made itself... Um, adapt to this in a way by uh, making its bladder function as a lung which it breathes air through to survive during the dry season whilst in the mud and that you know they also secrete mucus i think good good for them great mucus um another thing is storks like many storks they they migrate and um you know they suddenly decided to stay in <laughs> so many migra uh, migratory birds like storks are actually modifying their migration calendars or even like ruling it out completely so that they can adapt to climate conditions of their habitats and storks are just one example of these so when winters are mild they're more sedentary and uh, even bring forward their breeding adjusting it to earlier springs which i mean see this all sounds very cool you're probably like wow they're adapting, they're making these cool functions, but it's not um, something to be incredibly excited about. Rising sea levels and alarming temperature swings and melting poles and changing rainfall patterns, they're all adding up to the devastating habitat destruction. And as I said, there's so many endangered species that are changing everything just for us. There's, um, there's another species which I thought was pretty cool, and it's called the Grola Bear. <laughs> it's like a polar and a grizzly bear's successful hybridization. Um, so Arctic melting is basically bringing different species into contact with one another in the same region. 
for the first time. And this is what's happening with polar bears who, you know, they spend a lot of time on their on the land, right? Um, because of the lack of icy areas in the summer. And brown bears are also moving northward because for them of the like the altitude or whatever. And so, you know, like a polar bear and a brown bear, they go, oh, hey, nice to see you. And this has like given rise to what scientists called hybridization, which is the genetic crossing of both of these species to bring it a new one uh aka the growler bear the growler bear growler growler it's an evolutionary success i guess um and they have fertile descendants which i don't think is possible for some things like tigers and lions are they called ligers yeah i don't think i think they're born infertile um but basically i guess it's an evolutionary process in itself um yeah <laughs> it's it's a bit freaky to hear for sure but um that's all i wanted to say <laughs> so yeah i guess all these animals are taking this massive burden for us to adapt and um as habitats are going to continue to be destroyed by cities and roads and dams and whatever moving for these animals are going to become con- like really difficult so for those who can't move and adapt it doesn't look great does it something i've heard a lot is also that you know renewable energy is just like a money-making scheme i mean like it's expensive according to a lot of people you know solar power and offshore wind are the cheapest ways of generating electricity um which is a lot cheaper than using nuclear gas or fossil fuels and you know cost of renewables has actually fallen faster than anyone could have predicted Yet, I think the government are still backing so many dirty fossil fuels. (laughs) Which is like, but why? (laughs) I mean, companies like Shell were under fire for years, and they still are. But I guess now the very recent news is that oil giant Shell has pulled out of the very, very, very controversial Cambo oil field development. Um, You know, it's faced a lot of sustained criticism from a lot of environmental groups. Um, and they've pulled out of it, and people are like, frick, oh my god. <laughs> uh, so, I guess, hmm. Now, the last myth I thought I'd tell you before we go into a lovely, cheery Christmassy song is that I did actually speak to someone who tried to convince me that global warming isn't real because it's still cold. Um, honey, global warming is causing the Earth's average surface temperature to increase. So it's not only making heat waves and droughts more likely and like torrential rains. I mean, oh my God, like my, um, you know, I have a lot of family in India and they've been telling me about like the awful rain situation, like floods and causing natural disasters and deaths and making it really hard for people but anyway it's also causing changes to our natural climate system so extreme weather conditions are so so much more likely you know i've um as i said like i've not seen this many you know like storms and things this intense for a while this time actually that's a lie (laughs) early last year i was coming back from amsterdam and i got stuck in a hurricane and i'd never been in one before but the next day it was snowing it was like springtime it was snowing just for one day and then it was completely hot the next day and i was so confused um 
But yeah, all these hurricanes and storms are becoming way more intense and they are taking way more time to die down and they're moving way slower as well. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's that. And um, on another note, we have an incredible guest on today. Her name is Christy Drutman, and she is incredible. She is a youth climate justice activist, and I've admired her for a very, very long time. So I was very, very honored when she came onto my show. And I so, so, so much enjoyed that conversation that I had with her. I learned so much. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. So I'm really, really excited for it. But for now, here I am, live in the studio at the Niller Extract, where I will try to challenge many socially pressing and relevant issues that aren't really talked about much. And yeah, please do excuse any background noises and whatnot. And as usual, this episode will have some good music, some uncontainable weirdness, a weird segment or two. So yeah, without further ado, here is Last Christmas by Wham.
Hello and welcome back. I really, really hope you enjoyed that song. It's literally one of my favorite Christmas songs and I can't even like, yeah, can't even uh, begin to express how happy this song makes me. I just like jump around and that's what I was doing now. And I hope you were too, because I love it. Now, I thought I would try out a new segment this week, um, but before I do that, you guys sent in your favourite Christmas songs, and I wanted to rate them, you know, just because just I can. But, um, you know, we'll start off with a very, very interesting suggestion of Mistletoe by Justin Bieber. Now, I must say, this song is my, uh, my most hated Christmas song. I'm really, really, really sorry to all those Justin Bieber fans out there, but I cannot, I cannot stand the song. No offence to Justin Bieber at all. Good for you, whatever you're doing right now. Have fun, but just mistletoe. I hate that song. It's just like, I don't know, when I hear it, I associate it with taking a really long and hard and difficult poo. Yeah. That's what I have to say about. <laughs> That's what I have to say about Mistletoe by Justin Bieber. Here's another song, um, Bonnie M's uh, Mary's Boy Child or Pentatonic's Mary Did You Know. I've actually never heard those two. I've heard the Bonnie M one, Mary's Boy Child. Um, yeah, I quite like it. Um, it's a bop. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I... Um, I don't know if it gives me, like, all the Christmas vibes. You know, there's, there's just, like, some songs that, like, scream Christmas at me. Um, example, Last Christmas and some other songs. Um, but they're lovely songs. I totally agree. Um, someone said Feliz Navidad. Uh, yes, I agree. <laughs> um, oh, okay. So this is a really nice suggestion. For those who haven't listened to Victoria Monet's uh, Christmas orchestral album, I urge you to do so now because it is like heaven to the ears. It's beautiful. Uh, And the last one that we got was a song called Wrap Myself in Paper by Magnus Carlsen. Apparently, it's a very underrated banger. And do you know what? Might play it next week because I want to listen to it. But yeah, that was all those. (laughs) Um, I do have a very, very amazing guest on tonight. And her name is Christy Drutman. And as I said, Christy is a youth climate activist um she's an educator she does such incredible work and i love her work on instagram and she talks about you know like how to how centering so many voices of color uh, in the climate justice movement is so important um we also spoke about environmental racism we spoke about eco-anxiety we spoke about cop uh we spoke about that disconnect that a lot of people feel from the climate crisis just because they think it's not happening in front of them you know, we speak about um, residential segregation, you know, environmental racism in that sense. And there's so many different topics that we touch up on. So I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear this um, because it's such an s- important conversation that I feel like each one of us should be having with our family. And genuinely, it taught me so much. So I really, really hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here is the wonderful Christy. Christy, welcome to the Nella Extract. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me on. No, I'm honoured. Like I've been saying for the past, like, I don't know how long we've been talking, but I am still fangirling. My cheeks are actually quite red right now. So (laughs) (laughs) it's good that you can't see me in person because 
I'm embarrassing and awfully flustered and I'm like this I don't know and I yeah I'm gonna stop talking now but um <laughs> how are you doing you know um just how's your day been I know it's just started but yeah I mean it's been good I definitely have um you know things I want to do for like self-care like you know tidying up getting things in order um getting like to-do lists in order all that all that (laughs) stuff so it's yeah that's pretty much like the direction I'm going to be taking my day in today I love that do you know I woke up with that direction and here I am having done none of it so I (laughs) I applaud you and I hope you get it done (laughs) um yeah so for those who don't know you you're not only the founder of brown girl green this incredible instagram platform and podcast and just this whole thing but you're also an incredible youth climate activist you're an educator you're and like something that i've loved about your work and i followed you for a while and uh you know i really like as a girl of color myself i love the fact that you center so many voices and amplify so many voices of color And you come up with some really cool climate solutions as well. So I'd love to know how you got started as a climate justice activist and how important it is to center these voices when it comes to doing your work. Yeah, so I mean, I got involved in a lot of this work in university and undergrad. Um, I went to UC Berkeley and um, during that time, I was really, you know, understanding that climate change and climate issues weren't just like about science and like rising greenhouse gas emissions, but it was like also about people and how communities were being impacted on the ground by these issues. And, um, you know, as as time went on, I realized that like, um, you know, I wanted to use the resources and the privileges I had access to. Um, and I realized like the best way to do that was by creating media. And I realized I had a knack for it and that I was good at it. Um, Yes, you are good at it. You're fantastic at it. So I was like, you know, why don't I just like use this, um, use this like interest I have as a creative um, to be able to like bridge that gap because a lot of people don't know um, that there's certain communities, especially Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities who are on the front lines of the climate crisis, like actually understanding like what it is they go through, what are their viewpoints on like what's happening in the world. Um, I feel like it doesn't get documented well enough by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Even in the mainstream, um, I I think the mainstream media has failed to report on climate change, let alone like climate justice um, and how it's impacting communities. I think they're starting to figure that out. Um, but it's definitely not happening at the rate it needs to be. And so, you know, I wanted to use my own corner of the internet to drive an impact by creating the media that I wish I saw on the internet. And mm-hmm. um, that's pretty much like how Brown Girl Green emerged. And, um, you know, a really important thing for me was that, you know, when I was in university also outside of just like caring about these issues, I just didn't see other people who look like me in my classrooms or in internships or in the workplace or even in activist movement spaces. And I realized like, how are we going to get people to care about climate change if like, we're only using one particular set of language. If you have to be a certain way, like certain things, act a certain way and I felt like that was so restrictive and so also a part of my platform is like really just being honest about that that like there are barriers to entry 
um, around um, reconnecting with with nature and um, caring about the the quote unquote environment um, due to you know colonialism, imperialism, all these things. And so it's like also like how do we start addressing that disconnect as well? Um, because you know the makeup of so many environmental NGOs and companies um, don't look like the communities that are being the most impacted. So for me, you know, I, I use my platform in a way to try to tackle all of that, um, which is a lot. Yeah. And um, <laughs> by, by, I, I realize that like, if I can exist as an entity that can start exploring those intersections, um, you know, I hope that it can inspire other people that they can explore those intersections as well. No, for sure. I absolutely love the way that you put that as well. And I think it is, as you said, like, even for me growing up, I, I never saw anyone who looked like me that was actually speaking about the issues that I wanted people to be. I know that loads of communities experience it as well. But for me, like, as you said, a particular language being used or the way in which we convey this information, the way we personally relate to it, it just wasn't there for so long. And I, I've been looking for people like, I mean, I found people like you and so many other wonderful activists who are out there and like, you know, they speak from a perspective that I kind of get. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this resonates with me. And people from my community go through the same thing and they may not necessarily know how to talk about it. And I think what you do is so important because you do give people those instruments and those tools to go, like, you know, watch your videos and watch your the things that you do or listen to the things, like the talks that you've done and go from there and then do their own exploration using those tools that you've made. And I think that's absolutely fantastic what you do. And I love what you do. So yeah. thank you so much for doing it. <laughs> I said what you do like a thousand times just now. So. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I completely get that. And uh, I think, I mean... I love your videos as well because they're really really informative you not only talk about you know an overall viewpoint of what society is doing within climate change crisis and everything your videos can also be funny they go behind the like the science behind stuff like I think I looked at a post a while ago about the science behind why these climate issues are actually happening and I was so eye-open because I feel like even when we're at school we get a very um wishy-washy very generic overview of what's happening and even then people feel that disconnect I mean so many people even some that I know feel like um an odd disconnect from the climate crisis because some of them are like oh well we don't need to think about it because we're not on the front lines we're not there so how do you I mean I don't know how I got to this question now but how how important do you think that personal connection to the climate crisis is like that feeling that connect of you know you have to do the work you have to start talking about it and contributing towards delaying the effects even if you're not there where it's an absolute disaster if that makes sense like you're asking like how do you connect with that if like you don't live in a frontline community or like Mm -hmm. yeah okay okay um I think the way that I mean beyond just you know basic human empathy but you know that's (laughs) yeah you know, what a, what a crazy thing that you could actually feel things for things you don't go through. But anyways, (laughs) I mean, yeah, at a baseline, you know, being an empathetic human, what a shocker that could get you there. (laughs) That could actually get you there. But, you know, if you don't naturally have that inclination given today's society, um, you know, I think it's about, um, I think it can even be a baseline of like understanding the communities 
that you live near or in proximity to because mm-hmm. i guarantee you wherever you are in the world given the way society is structured at this point um you might either live in a community that experiences pollution of like your air your water or your soil or you probably like even thinking of it maybe there's a community in your head right now um that may be on the quote-unquote bad side of town or like is um viewed as you know undeveloped or doesn't have that kind of infrastructure like you probably know what community that is um Mm -hmm. most people do and most of the time if you go into those communities it's not a blanket statement this isn't always the case but most of the time you go into like a low-income community or a community of color um that's located in a more disinvested part of a city or uh, or an area um And you'll see that they're probably in proximity to a factory or a, um, or like a mine, a mining operation, um, or some sort of other polluting facility, um, or you hear that they don't have the best drinking water, or you hear that kids that live in that area have really bad asthma. Um, I think even before thinking about climate change, we can think about those issues to start off with. Because then we start becoming aware of um, our proximity to environmental injustice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that that's a better starting point than maybe some more abstract thing around climate, even though climate's not really abstract, there's data behind it and it's actually happening right now. But this is for the people that maybe it still feels abstract Mm -hmm. or it feels so far off, it's not happening in their lifetime. I think you can still think about environmental injustice and how communities are already being disenfranchised based on the environment that they live in and how that's going to be magnified or that's going to be, you know, amplified by the impacts of of climate change because natural disasters um, and floods and fires, all those things, the people that get hit the worst by those things are typically those communities that are already disinvested in. Yeah. Because they don't have the infrastructure already to, resist that when they need to build back they don't have the money to do that um they're gonna have to live in random evacuation shelters they're gonna have to migrate to other states and communities or countries um and i think that when people start thinking about it in those terms it becomes more tangible because they're Mm -hmm. already seeing those patterns happening now like even with syria um syrian refugee crisis um we saw mass migration of course you know you can't just attribute that just to climate change but a big part of it was due to drought and crop failures and things like that um and we we're seeing that in our lifetime so i just think that like if people care about famine and war and starvation and pollution those are things that already do exist right now and are becoming amplified due to the climate crisis so that's the way i would frame it to for for someone to care that maybe doesn't understand how it could impact them yeah I think that was really really well said like I don't think there's any other better way to say it than what you just said I completely understand because well like recently um as part of my master's I've been like writing essays sad times but um I started investigating like preterm births and uh women of color uh in relation to 
like environmental injustices in their communities because so many people don't realize that as you said a lot of these like segregated communities communities that are disadvantaged just because of like structural and institutional racism which we haven't of course you know there's still so much work that needs to be done so many pregnant women and just women and men and people in of color in general in these communities are exposed to just really bad toxins or you know other environmental just shit conditions basically and that is you know giving them so many like negative birth outcomes and increasing like like death rates in mothers and babies and it's like there is such minimal research and there's such minimal work going on in some areas and then there's like massive bodies of research coming in from other areas and I think it's I I totally agree with what you say I think we need to look at what's in front of us um, more than a kind of a big abstract thing because it is happening and it's impact it's kind of uh, I don't know woven itself into loads and loads of different um, layers of our society including like people living in these disadvantaged communities and we don't see it like um, you know even my um, my family is from India originally and when I go to India and like some people live in like the city and some people live in like really bad villagey type places where there are really bad air quality and it's water is really bad and they don't have purifiers and it's just it's it's a lot and I completely get that I just I I um I really don't think there's anything I can add to that because I think you explained it so well (laughs) um but yeah I think I was just shocked that some people who I know were like oh well it's not happening so it doesn't actually exist and I was like are you are you kidding me (laughs) so I hope they listen to this (laughs) I mean it's yeah and I think it's also the issue with climate science right like there's so Mm. much um you know scientists say the data is clear but I'm like but how are you communicating that to the average person you know sure yeah I I think the data is clear yeah I think it's also important you know if average average all the you know global temperatures and how much it's been increasing like you're seeing a trend you know what I mean and I think people don't understand that that's what climate change is because sometimes people are like well it's cold right now so is climate change happening it's like that's not that's (laughs) that's weather that is not climate (laughs) yeah Um, that's just the air (laughs) hon yeah yeah and I think people in general like there's just such a lack of literacy around climate education and that's not to say that like people are dumb or like can't understand or comprehend it I think people could comprehend it but it's not being communicated in a way that like really makes sense to people and then you bring in like the human approach of like well this is what's going to happen and again that's where we end end back up right where people are like well it's not impacting my community so why should I care so Mm -hmm. that's that's where we get back to what I was just saying so yeah all a circle and I think the only way you get people to really care is them at a baseline caring about like you know quote unquote people who are less advantaged than they are facing those issues if they don't care about that then I mean I don't know where you're gonna go from there but even if they just care about their own family like regardless of your socioeconomic status sure to some extent wealth is gonna protect you you know um in the next couple decades within the century but based on the trajectory that we're on if policy does nothing if we do nothing at this point um 
we're on, we're reaching a, a world that will warm to around 2.7 degrees Celsius of global warming since pre-industrial levels, which mm-hmm. basically will make the planet unlivable for millions of people around the world. Um, and so regardless, if you come from even like a wealthy whatever, or you think you have all this privilege, like everyone's going to get hit. But of course, the degrees of which people are going to get hit worse, of course, that's going to vary based on so many systemic barriers and and pre-existing histories so yeah yeah but but just know that like if you're planning on having kids or grandkids I guess that's I guess that's another incentive for people to care it's like well do you really want to bring people into the world that are going to just have to suffer like Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone wants that for the fate of humanity so anyways at least people who care (laughs) (laughs) just care please (laughs) Yeah, I get that. I mean, do you think that accessibility of, you know, the education that you're talking about, like that the data does exist, but maybe that it's not presented or given to people in the right way or enough? Do you think accessibility to that information has a lot to do with it, especially in various like BIPOC communities? Like, yeah, I mean, I think like we're just, it's just one of those things where like, I think a lot of these communities are concerned about it, but it can't be their top concern when they're worried about like just putting food on their table, surviving, dealing with like police brutality, like mm. all these things. Um, it's difficult. It's a difficult sell to be like, well, this needs to be top, yeah. even though it is top, you know, outside of all of that. Um, and all those things are interconnected in some way or another. But I think it's, it's like, how do you, how do you then bring, bring more people into that space when those are the concerns mm-hmm. um, without getting the message lost that like that, that doesn't need to directly be addressed, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, it does make sense. I mean, do you think like all these interconnected things, could you say that they're all part of um, like, could you say that the whole thing is um, like environmental racism or do you think that's different or am I getting that wrong? Yeah, I mean, all of these issues stem from, you know, unregulated extractive capitalism and white supremacy. Like those are at the baseline, like those two things are Mm. like at the core of a lot of ills in in society. (laughs) Yeah, not off that list. And I think it's like it's interesting because it's like then that's when we come up with intersectional solutions, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's the issue. Maybe that's the issue. It's like, we talk about the interconnectedness of all these issues, but then like, then some people feel like their issues not being heard. Yeah. Or things get drowned out, whatever. But it's like, if you thought about interconnected, like solutions building and actually coming up with things like, jobs that would actually solve those issues and address climate change like Mm. it's kind of like you have to come up with all-in-one packages these days like in a (laughs) way like it's unfortunate that like we have to do that but it's like but it's also not because it's like we all live so many multitudes of lives these days in the fast-paced society we live in and we need and it's difficult it's like we want to deconstruct capitalism but yet we also need to come up with like so a two for one deal for <laughs> solving the 
like a lot of like world issues like yeah just a package like oh do you want to like solve everything yeah. like like we had like if we could learn anything from capitalism it's like let's make a combo meal for so- social justice can you, you know? imagine that if they made like a black friday sale package and it's just like social justice come this way like like let's produce this job and secure this land trust for indigenous people and then we generate these jobs um blah blah blah. um yeah but I think that's I think that's the issue like a lot of the solutions we're coming up with are like you know are all siloed in different sectors and there needs to be so much more cross-sectoral collaboration um that's even coming from me as I guess you could say coming from more the activist background but like you know ultimately I'm in the media field too so it's like one of those things where like I don't just identify as just like a youth activist like I identify as a content creator as like an impact Mm -hmm. media producer and so it's like one of those things where I'm like I see that like activism isn't the only way like there needs to be like people coming up with like innovative business solutions there needs to be people who are working with scientists and giving them a platform like Um, there's not going to be a silver bullet solution. And I think a lot of times, um, unfortunately, right now with like how things move forward, we're so polarized. And um, I think that prevents us from like re-envisioning like what an like intersectional interconnected solutions could be like that, that meet the social needs of the most disadvantaged, because obviously the solutions that those communities need that, you know, those communities inherently know what those are, Mm -hmm. but it's like, even knowing that it's like, then it comes down to funding and priorities and having lobbying power with like, even, you know, your local government, your mayors, your um, people that maybe have power over some of those things. And typically the people who have the influence and the power for that um, come from whiter or wealthier backgrounds. And so I guess it just all comes back to like, will people with power and privilege, are they willing to redistribute that? And are people from different sectors willing to challenge their own ego to recognize that they need to collaborate and um, come up with innovative solutions that aren't just in one silo? I think those are the two questions that need to be followed moving forward. Yeah, I completely get that. I mean, this is a bit of a dramatic question, but just leading off of what you said, do you do you think that maybe our world leaders have perhaps failed us in various ways when it comes to like helping to create legislations and things that we need to inform people and delay those impacts of climate change? I mean, is that true dramatic for me to say? Like, like, should we give up hope on that or like what? (laughs) (laughs) no I mean like do you think that these people in power do you think they're doing enough like especially since we have things like COP26 which just happened which is a bunch of powerful people doing things and giving talks and you know it it's a lot of information but do you think we necessarily need something for example like COP26 for these world leaders to make a change or do you think it's like they don't need it it's just more of a I mean, I think that's the big question that's been going on now for like 26 years. (laughs) Um, Because I think it's better to have a cop than not have a cop. But at the Mm. same time, like, but at the same time, do these things achieve much? I really don't think so. Like, I really don't think so. Like, if I'm being honest with you, because it's like, we had so much hope with the Paris Agreement 
back in 2015, it felt like, wow, the process works. All these countries are now committed to 1.5. It's on the books. What is it? Six years later, they've done jack nothing. Like True. nothing. Mm-hmm. Six years. Six years. Yeah. Six years. Like that's, that's all I have to say. And it's like, <laughs> you know, now it's like this year, what did they come up with? They came up with this thing called the Glasgow Climate Pact. Yeah. yeah. That now is like, okay, now we really have to be on it. Now our homework is due every year to see if we actually did our homework. But yeah, it's like, six years a bit late, but. <laughs> but it's like, so it's like, it took six years to even say, oh, we need to actually check your homework. Like mm. that's, that's where we're at people. Like that's what <sighs> that's I want to say. crazy to me. That is crazy it is. because like. It is, it is. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like. And not it's- only oh. that, not only that, the other biggest failure was this um, climate finance. So like they were supposed to commit to like, hundred billion dollars something crazy like that I think it's supposed to be mm. like every year like I don't even know like it's supposed to add up to trillions of dollars someday yeah they've contributed around like maybe a hundred million right and it's supposed to be a hundred billion billion and yeah then, and, and this is since I can't remember the year maybe 2012 2013 it's been like almost six seven eight years whatever since that was discussed so mm. imagine Again, it's like, this is the money that is supposed to go towards making this happen, right? This whole transition to addressing climate change and only a hundred million. Like that is, I don't know. That's a film. That's like a Marvel film. Yeah. I really hope that it was a typo when they won the check that some guy didn't know how to spell million or billion. Oh my God. That's ridiculous. I did not know that, but you're absolutely right. That is just the price of like producing a film. Like, that's nothing. We see films come out every day. It's nothing. Oh, my God. (laughs) So it's kind of like, you know, I think, like, Hollywood has spent more talking about climate change than world leaders have at this point. But Mm. I would just just say that, like, that was another big failure. Like, this year it was supposed to be, like, we're going to make these commitments. And, yeah, they did say, okay, we're going to double whatever they've already done which is barely anything nothing. Now, they've done nothing now they're like we're gonna double whatever that is wow I don't know so twice of zero is zero fantastic yeah <laughs> and so, so basically like that people viewed that as a success but I'm like but where's the money and then there's not even a discussion of like how that money is going to get distributed who gets that money like they haven't even gone to that point yet so now it's just like a pool of money that's gonna make like has been sent out in some small grants here and there to different countries but it's like it's so disorganized it's a disaster so with all that being said I think in theory an international forum where we're actually figuring this out is so important but how it actually is working in practice is ridiculous to me yeah it's an embarrassment so anyways that's (laughs) anyway (laughs) and honestly like unfortunately like the biggest conclusion a lot of people had at the end of this thing was that like it's going to be up to like market forces in the private sector and that's not really great oh god no it's not again it goes back to unregulated capitalism it's like okay so we're gonna put the fate of humanity in the hands of people that care about profit yeah that sounds great oh yeah a bowl we should give them a medal so but then again it's like well does the government even not just care about profit too who knows these days so Mm. I think with all that being said it's you know from a more optimistic standpoint 
is that I think that the grassroots activist movement that is pushing these narratives of like how insufficient all this is, I felt like it was stronger this year than I've like ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, that gives me hope, but it's like at the same time, like these folks aren't inside these rooms yeah. and um, it's a balance, right? So it's like one of those things where it's like, where does change happen and where does it get made? And for me, like, coming back from cop, I'm realizing that like, it does have to be somewhere on the in-between, but also like that can't be at the expense of like just settling for Mm. the status quo because the status quo is going to kill all of us. So, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, this is a, this is a question to just, it's just a random gossipy light note question. But whilst COP was happening, I remember there was like this whole Instagram, like controversy, controversy, controversy. How do you even say that? Controversy. Sorry. Controversy. controversy. <laughs> Why did I think it was controversy? That that sounds like someone's name. Anyway, um, there was like, oh my gosh, they served farmed salmon at COP. How could they? Is this true? I want to know. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but there was like a lot of like, there were just not great vegan options. I mean, yeah, I, I was so shocked. I was like, are like, you kidding me? They got like farmed salmon from Scotland. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, weird. <laughs> it was a weird, uh, it was a weird place. Mm. Uh, it always is every year, but yeah. Yeah, I get that. Well, on that note, um, I think we should take a break. And Chrissy, uh, I asked you if you wanted to pick a song and uh, do you do you have a song that you'd like to play? Well, since you're like in the UK, um, I love the artist Joy Crooks. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love the song. Something for like her newer stuff, but I'm like, eh. I'll just put Trouble by Joy Crooks. That's Trouble. Okay. Okay. I like it. Well, on that note, let's take a break and we'll be back. Troubles the same as same as Troubles the same as mine You're all that I need But we break every time Birds a feather fly together Your troubles the same as mine You're all that I need But we break every time Birds a feather fly together Your troubles the same as mine it's in the ringtone when you call me When we go, it's like tsunami Run in your mouth with that malarkey Wait, let me take the lead in that show I'm Villanelle to your Sandra O It's only for the drama, I know The touch is sweet, the way that we go So I play for your reaction And you throw your cheap distraction uh-huh.
troubles the same as mine You're all that I need Every time I'm back and we talked about loads and loads and loads of things and uh, there's no words that I can use to recap them because yeah just rewind and listen to it <laughs> but <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that song as well I haven't actually heard this song before so I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, to hear it um now Chrissy you talk about you know like self-care for environmental activists and eco-anxiety and I mean I understand it must be so overwhelming um especially like relating to something you said earlier about you know people thinking that their issue is not being heard enough and this issue is not being heard enough how do you manage it and you know for those who don't know what is eco-anxiety that was a lot of questions there sorry (laughs) yeah so I mean eco-anxiety is basically just like this you know impending feeling around like you know the fears around climate and what's happening with the environment um and yeah it's a real thing I mean I think I have it on a daily basis um especially doing the work that I do and you know feeling more disillusioned with like you know what's happening with like policy and technology and all these things um and so you know, for me, like, that's kind of the reason why I have a media platform. It, like, is my own form of, like, healing and and dealing with eco-anxiety. Like, I always um, try to have open conversations um, Mm -hmm. with, um, you know, my online community about, like, what do you do for self-care? And, you know, sometimes when, like, I'm going through a rough patch, like, even, even in these past few days, I was going through kind of, like, a rough patch of just feeling really burnt out after everything. And, um, you know, I asked people, I said, do you have any like memes or like, I don't know, nice videos or things. And, you know, people always come through, they like send me videos or notes or things like that, just to talk about like what we're processing. And I realized just like actually talking about it makes a big difference because I think like just pretending like it's not there, like makes things worse. Yeah. Um, And so I would say that like, yeah, like definitely like like trying to journal talking to other people about it like making an open space for other people to share their feelings can actually be really cathartic like not even you having to like express how you feel but just like listening and being really present to like hold space for other people's emotions actually like actually makes you feel better because it gives you a purpose because like wow you were just there for someone going through eco-anxiety and then it's like oh and then it's kind of like it makes you feel like you know, you're, you're doing something valuable too. So. Yeah. I love that. I mean, um, I, I get it though. Like it is important to recognize that you have those feelings and allow yourself to feel those feelings. And it, I mean, my, my dad always says this to me. It's like, if I'm ever having like, you know, anxiety or like, I'm thinking about something, it's just like, instead of being like, I don't want to think about it at all. I'm trying to block it out of my head. Just let it come in and invite it over. He always says like, invite it over for tea have a little chat and decide where you want to go next. <laughs> and that's what I try to do when I always have anxiety. So I don't know if that helps for other people. I also watch memes and like Gordon Ramsay yelling at people, which makes me happy for some reason. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I get that. I mean, um, so this show is all about, you know, issues that aren't really spoken about much. And with something like the climate crisis and the whole climate change conversation, what do you think something that isn't talked about enough 
as it should be like which aspect do you think isn't spoken about as much as it should be by others I think something that's not talked about enough is um I think it's definitely about this like this like reconnection um with nature that's so necessary I think I think again it's like um people people maybe talk about like oh you need to go into nature go on a hike like all these things to feel that connection but it's like it's actually like so fundamental in the work Mm -hmm. and um and I think that like it's just not taken as seriously enough I think another thing that isn't talked about enough is like um is like how do we create like circular economy Mm -hmm. um so how do we create an economy that's focused on um you know basically reducing waste um and actually putting resources back into a cycle and actually thinking about um how systems are built to be in you know conjunction with the earth rather than rather than extracting from or in opposition to it um I think that like thinking in a circular way also makes you think about like your own relationship to the things you own, um, how you live your life, the relationships that you have, um, because you're viewing it as not this linear relationship, but something that feeds into itself. And I think that that's also something that isn't talked about enough. And I think if people started thinking that way, um, they'd realize that their, their life does make an impact on the people around them and ultimately the planet. Yeah, I love that. I think I think it is really important that we do talk about those issues and we keep those conversations going, um, not just between ourselves, but I think, you know, places where young people are learning and uh, I don't know, just keep doing that. Um, that was a really bad way to summarize that point. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I'd love to have you on for a lot longer. But before you go, I'd love to know who your climate hero or heroes are if you have any I mean you don't have to have any but if you do I'd, I'd love to know who them. <laughs> yeah I mean the difficulty with heroes is also like um it doesn't allow people to recognize like that there was a hero in their own story in their own community mm-hmm. um, so I try my best to not have a hero to be honest just because, <laughs> just because maybe that's the message I'm trying to send is like, <laughs> unfortunately if we put people on pedestals at this point um the scary part is is that like it's it's not going to solve the issues happening in our own communities um and so I guess my takeaway is that people need to identify their own hero strength and like superpower of like how are the, how do they want to take action on this issue um and recognize that like we like when you see some heroic attributes in someone else those things are in you and you identify it because you're able to see that and you have to tap into that more often yeah I get that that's such an important message I think because I mean I know so many people including myself I've I've fixated on heroes for so long and forgotten to actually see the stuff that I'm doing I think it's something that as like a woman of color as well like we grew up thinking that we're not allowed to gloat about ourselves or like brag about ourselves but (laughs) do you know what I mean like it's okay to recognize your own accomplishments and go damn girl like 
you're freaking incredible. You've done so much, but all the time we're like, okay, we have to compare ourselves to someone who's bigger in the field or whatever, but we don't stop to actually give ourselves a pat on the back and be like, um, excuse me, hon, you're doing a lot as well. Exactly. <laughs> Cause I mean, I've met some of my heroes, right. And I realize that like, they've done incredible work, but at the same time, it's like, but at the same time, it's like, you know, that's not going to solve humanity is like celebrity heroism all Mm. these things um we can be inspired by people though like don't lose that like I I think it's also important to not like lose that faith and inspiration from people I think there's a difference um because you can you can be inspired by someone but not put them on an impossible pedestal to where you devalue yourself you know what I mean but you can be inspired by people where it's like wow I should I want to friggin beyond whatever they're on you know what I mean that's a different different vibe and we need more people who do that too and um you know inspire others for sure so no for sure I definitely feel like I get my energy from seeing people who are doing stuff as well I'm like oh my gosh like as literally what you said like I want to get on what they're running I want to be on that wavelength right now so yeah I think that's a great way to put that um Christy thank you so much for coming on to the show I really really wish I could like keep talking to you because I genuinely have learned so much and I've wanted to have this conversation with you for ages so it's been an absolute honor so thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you for inviting me I appreciate it (laughs) yeah and I hope we get to meet someday or like have this conversation again and yeah I hope you have a wonderful day but for now I'm gonna have to say goodbye goodbye thank you (laughs) bye Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Vanilla Extract. You can find this episode anytime you want on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all your major podcast streaming websites. You can find these in the link in my Instagram bio at Vanilla Extract, and you can just Google them too if you wanted to. A massive thank you to our wonderful guest who came onto the show today. I hope you learned something because I certainly did. And thank you to Robert Nettleton who thought of the name of the show today.